This is Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast where we cover science fiction through Asian cinema from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm your host, Dave, and I am joined today by a special guest. We have only been doing special guest episodes lately, so that's no no big change from the past, but it's been two years and we're back. I, I never left. Uh, we were just sleeping or something. Um, today I am joined by Adam Eisentrout. Adam, how are you doing? Hi, hello. I am well. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's been a little while since, um, I've done a recording for this particular podcast, but, uh, the, the subject matter never changes. It is strange the cinema whatever kind of low budget well, yeah, these cult stuff i can find strange, <laughs> definitely cult. yeah yeah no yeah I'm, I'm super excited um to talk about these movies um yeah so i i've uh i've asked adam here to help me dig through the evil dead trap trilogy it's of as a trilogy goes it's it's not a trilogy they're in all all but name or i guess name but not much else uh it's a it's a thing i don't even know you can't say it's a franchise it's just it exists and you should watch it uh, they're, and- yeah they're they're, very, they're associated <laughs> mainly because i mean the first the first two sort of by theme a little bit but they definitely are by they still are even though they're produced by JHV, like J- Japanese home video at the time, they're still incredibly different. I feel like the first, like one and two, but um, yeah, they they share some kind of quirks and uh, I would say like cinematic styling. They they don't they're they're super low budget. Uh, different directors and different writing. Um, writer writers for the the films uh in one and two the third one however is the same director as, as shared first, directors with yeah. the first uh and it's, and writer and writer it's the yes, same writer and writer and uh, and composer i believe as well uh, yeah so that's why that's why you know i think internationally the third film they just kind of rope in just because of that connection and We'll get to it, but there's also if you watch the movie, you realize there really is no need for it to be associated with the other two films. It it doesn't. The other the other bit of connective tissue where you to want to explore it uh, is the main antagonist, sort of in the third film, uh, is an act. The same actor is a large part of the second film, so that's right. Yeah, it just yeah. happens. But uh yeah, Shiro yeah. Sano, who he's like a cult like mm. actor in Japan that I'm sure if anyone who watches a lot of like Japanese horror, like we, we pretty much would recognize if you saw him, he'd be like, Oh yeah, it's that guy. He's like one of those Oh, it's that guy. He's from a there's a great the really underrated fun horror, uh medical horror film called Infection from two thousand four that he's in. Yes. That I'm very fond of. And that's a very highly recommend that to anyone out there who likes um really cheesy and goopy and very very it's just a fun horror movie um but he's in that and uh he's he's in a few other ones as well um he's in a really obscure one that's like um an adaptation of the dunwich horror uh that's very hard to find 
um that's also really interesting it was like a straight to video kind of thing um but hmm. um, yeah, yeah i'll have to the... track that down the uh infection uh and its its partner film um premonition are on the to-do and that's the uh that's Kansen and Jorgen. so yeah i would say they're connected because yeah i mean they were definitely they were uh, like when j-horror was becoming cool like the asian horror extreme in the early two and that's kind of important to talking a little bit about mm-hmm. evil dead because evil dead it was like really one of the you know it predated it didn't predate well obviously it predated j-horror because it was a film from the 80s being released like at the late in 1999 yeah. 2000s when like yeah, ni- internationals, yeah were being like were becoming a bigger thing but um after you know some of them sold i think like and especially like lionsgate saw the appeal of like the grudge and the ring and stuff they were bringing over films through their label um and yeah infection and premonition were ones that in uh, lionsgate did release like together kind of as like um their own kind of, i have the dvds still i have the lionsgate uh, dvds of those mm-hmm. because they haven't they haven't received a re-release since unfortunately and i think that um I was hoping that Arrow was going to pick up the slack because Arrow actually bought the company Palisades that used to be Tartan DVDs. And they they basically were the forerunners of bringing Asian horror to the West and uh, the UK and the US. Um, even yeah, the, though... The Evil Tartan Dead Asia Trap, Extreme, I think, label. Right. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. An amazing line of, um, you know, films from all different parts of Asia. And... Um, that you, I mean, these are some at Walmart. Like, you could go to Walmart mm-hmm. and get, I could yeah. get a copy of, like, you know, uh, Tale of Two Sisters or something, and, um, which is incredible. Or, like, Old Boy. Like, they really brought, like, a really amazing mixture of things. And, um, but Evil Dead Trap was released by Arts Magic and then Synapsis, um, in America, where, and, like, and they're like a cult horror DVD label, obviously. Um, that's still around, but, um, Interestingly enough, they didn't release Evil Dead Trap 2 um, and Unearth, I guess. I guess, I think because they probably saw a, a Evil Dead Trap 2 and didn't think much of it because it, in comparison to the first film, which, um, if people don't know, Evil Dead Trap is kind of seen as, I mean, in the, in the, in the 80s in Japan, there really wasn't as much horror prominence in terms of, like, you know, theatrical released horror at the time uh it kind of gets into like guinea pig the guinea pig series which became yeah. a big hit in japan on video and even though evil dead trap was released uh in theater like theatrically in japan um it was kind of i mean it's it, i was looking there there really aren't many japanese slasher films um and uh it being kind of like the prime example probably i mean the best example of its kind from japan of like the japanese slasher um even though its influences aren't exactly the same as they were in like the West or something, it's definitely not like a Freddy, a Freddy, like a Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street film. It's something that's a little bit meaner and uh, nastier, <laughs> which is, which puts it more alongside like the Guinea Pig films, um, especially because those films also heavily focused on the gore special effects and the kind of pseudo snuff stuff that you get a little bit of a hint of in the first evil dead trap film you know as it as it starts yeah um released by the same company jhv you know japanese home video um so i think even though the guinea pig series it was 1988 when evil dead trap was released uh i think the fourth guinea pig film was being released on video around the same time so um 
that definitely probably had something to do with them wanting to make another film mm. um, that wasn't so hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Was it was the last one of those Android of Notre Dame? I, I'm trying to remember the release order of those. I mean, officially, I, I mean, I think Mermaid in, yeah, Mermaid in a Manhole was 1988. And then Android of Notre Dame was 1988. And then Double Doctor One was the last one in 1990. So, yeah, uh. they kind of um, were tapering off around then. But um, besides, um, you know, Western horror being really big in Japan on video and um, Faces of Death style type of films as well um, for like this, like I said, this kind of hardcore horror audience in Japan, Evil Dead Trap was really, I mean, it's it's interesting to think because, you know, we think of like horror as in, you know, in the 80s, you know, big franchise slasher films and this or that. And in Japan, it kind of goes back to, the, you know, the director Toshiharu Ikeda. He comes from, um, you know, the Pinku film, which if people don't know, you know, the Pinku film are soft to hardcore styled films, pornography in the, in the um, you know, from the early 60s into the late 90s or so, yeah. um, where they're very highly stylized pornographic films um, that are more close to kind of like art house exploitation, even though they do have... Um, you know sex scenes in them or like actual you know unsimulated or whatnot and he kind of cut his teeth on two of them i think before he ended up doing he ended up doing this film um but my introduction to evil dead trap was you know back in 20 years ago oh my god it's such a, such a long time ago <laughs> and i was cutting my teeth on, on on asian horror films um the magnificent wonderful mandy apple snowblood apple you know i am sure many people hopefully many people had known about this website because that's how i discovered you know asian horror in general and uh followed their reviews they actually they did a review of evil dead trap but they hated it they gave it a negative 10 out of 10 rating and basically just called it junk like they literally said it's like one of the worst i think they said yeah it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen the misfortune of having to suffer through twice and um even with that in mind um i still had to seek it out because you hear japanese slasher and again i think at the time back in the early 2000s we were getting the ring we were getting the grudge so we were getting ghost-based horror films um you know psychological horror film kiyoshi kurosawa type type mm. of horror films and of course the bread and butter which is the you know the long-haired ghost type of horror film um and uh but the the weird thing was is that evil dead trap came from 1988 so unlike the ring or all those other modern horror films from from japan here was a here was a film that was um definitely you know older um but i think the one thing that kind of is the one thing that everyone kind of notices about evil dead trap is that like stylistically it's very forward thinking um especially in comparison to a lot of 80s horror films even though a lot of people compare it to, you know, and I mean, and it's by, I think it's by the title because people hear Evil Dead Trap. They think of Evil Dead, the Evil Dead films by um, Sam Raimi. And um, there's a little bit of um, some camera work that people can kind of spot as the same. But I think Akeda said that he wasn't so much inspired by those films. Um, and, and a lot of people also mentioned Giallo because um, they think yeah. that there's a little bit of Argento influence as well. I could and, I could see thing something like um, demons that 
and any kind of sound um claudio simonetti's soundtracks oh the soundtrack yeah like the composer similar. yeah it's it's and and not like it's a bad thing like no, I, no. I i love the soundtrack to um the movie uh, it, it's but. very it's very um uh ineffable it's like dreamlike quality and even the opening is almost kind of like a giallo so like you know the the plot of evil dead trap is that there is this um local sort of reporter but more of like she's like a late night host on like it's not public uh, access but it's no like a it's a variety uh late night news channel uh, i think it's night night news yeah it's it's, like, it's, it's, it's like, very charming like i would love to have watched this ridiculous yeah. program and she receives like she i guess she's just like her 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 her, her, her they say that like her ratings are kind of tanking and so she's kind of relied on people to send in stuff and like most of the footage we see is like her reacting to like going to a zoo and seeing like an alligator or eat like a like a bird or something it's like and it's just her shock reaction so very of its time and being like you know like i said faces of death and stuff was super popular in japan so i think it was like it was like kind of before react videos we get to just watch this on tv and someone sends her basically a snuff film of a woman um being sliced up with a knife and then having her eye you know uh punctured by the same knife and it's incredibly gruesome for that to be the opening of like this film and you know like the smarty pants she she is she doesn't go to the police but she just you know gathers the crew around of her uh <laughs> she needs ratings co-workers, yeah and decides to tr- to trek out to find where this was shot because on the video there's also sort of like a um directions to wherever this so-called place is which is like this abandoned american military base um so yeah but i mean it's a very and i mean and it's an incredibly effective opening because it's it's so gruesome and the effects still hold up um you know like it's 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 eye gouges are always something that will get someone's attention and it's a very startling opening scene i think audiences are probably more startled than the main character is from it because her reaction's kind of like oh okay (laughs) um yeah this uh, feels like uh not really a take on, but if you would look at some of uh, Lucio Fulci's filmography, uh, Man- Manhattan Baby and things like that, that's it's kind of gritty, uh, and he, well, of course, loves uh, stabbing people in the eye. Well, um, I think it's like opening with like a, it's like Suspiria, where you open yeah. with something like a crazy murder, you know, and that's kind of yeah. like the hook that you get the audience t- kind of into, and so the eye gouging or the pseudo snuff stuff which is wouldn't it doesn't look that far off from like a guinea pig movie you know yeah. like it's it's really kind of the same thing and so clearly japan had kind of like you know some exposure to that idea of someone receiving a snuff film and that kind of being the hook for the main character to kind of go investigate or whatnot and um that's where it kind of really becomes like a traditional slasher film in the in the sense that it uh you know they go to the military base and they start kind of walking off scooby-doo style one by one and um you know it's not that there's a high body count in the film but the violence in it is extremely gruesome uh and um very bloody and very and like i said that that grittiness that you it kind of is like because the military base is an abandoned mil- which is kind of a novel setting um for a slasher film it's very destitute it's very uh industrial which 
in terms of Japanese horror cinema, has become like a staple and, a, and especially like a theme, like you know, like Tetsuya the Iron Man, where there's so much industry, in, in, you know, uh, industrial construction in Japan that's always happening um, in the in the in the eighties and into the nineties um that that became like a, a a theme especially for horror films at the time and um here we have this like i said this this destitute military base um that is it's a very um it's a very nightmarish kind of place to be because it's like again it's like mostly just cement and just debris of whatever was left in this military base so it's a very it feels like a very hostile, hopeless place for them to even be, especially because they're clearly out of their element in terms of like dealing with one person that might start stabbing them, you know, like. Yeah. So. And their their general um, group dynamics, because it's our, our uh, Nami in this one. Yes. Uh, Nami is yeah. the, the uh, really an anchor woman. She's just the, the host of the show. Uh, and she has her uh, her her makeup artist, her like her assistant, her, yeah. the writer, yeah, yeah. And then there, because I mean, it's sh- yeah. shitty cameraman, <laughs> yeah, who who is is has some kind of thing going on with Ray, the um the writer. Um, it's kind of insinuated that they had been sleeping together. Even yeah, though it's, like, it's kind of more of like a on again, off again thing. thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's real skeezy, um, but. You know. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know this. I thought this was interesting. I never knew about this. But the person who played Ray, apparently, this was supposed to be a vehicle for that actor, actress Hitomi Kobayashi, because she was one of the most popular porn actresses for Alice Japan, which was Japan Home Video's pornography label. Like, mm-hmm. and, and the funny thing is, Zakeda was like not sure about her acting ability, which is why they made Miyuki Ono like the main star as Nami. Uh, which is probably a better decision because she's really good as the reporter, even though her character is not the smartest, but she's very, she's very easy to watch in terms of like her character kind of, it, it, it's that kind of Jessica Harper role, like from Suspiria where it doesn't make much sense why they're doing what they're doing, but you kind of want to still see them get through it, you know, kind of situation. Wow. Yeah. She's she, definitely, she definitely inherits that sort of uh, what became a, a trope later, but the, the, the final girl, status where yeah, she she, she like doesn't she, yeah about her. she ends better than she began like just, right. she, she has a sort of character arc that whatever you can fit into a 90 minute film yeah i don't even, I don't even argument, think it's 90 minutes <laughs> yeah it's shorter than that but it's like there's like an argument because she there's a point where she can leave basically after her friends yeah. have been slaughtered and she goes back in still which is very much like yeah she's definitely she feels like she has to kind of like she she can't just let it go that her friends have been slaughtered all because she it was her idea to come to this military base and whatnot so but that's how the plot basically progresses because like her friends you know one by one they kind of get bumped off and there's another character introduced who's this weird mysterious man who talks to nami about how his him and his brother kind of played in the military base as they grew up and that kind of like spills into kind of like who might be the killer, even though it's incredibly obvious who the killer is, but not Tsunami because she's a little, she's a little bit on the, uh, <laughs> on the huh side of things where she can't really put two and two together until it's like kind of spelled out for her, which is kind of funny. But, um, 
but yeah and i mean you you get these so you get these deaths like ray's death where she sleeps with the cameraman or whatever and she sits in a chair and she's just impaled all of a sudden by these almost impossible it's kind of like an yeah it's, it's almost seemingly impossible how it happens but these just like skewers these like huge skewers come out and just impale her and it's an amazing it's such an amazing effect because it's one of those where they obviously kind of stuck her in a thing where they could push the the implement through to make it look like it's really going through her torso and um again it's a very startling kind of um death scene all of them really are and and all of them are really generally stylish and um and mean there's there's a meanness to them that i think other 80s horror films were getting to in the west but the thing is is that the mpa was kind of hacking anything like that away so because they didn't have the restraints of like say like a friday the 13th movie where the mpa after a certain point was like okay yeah nothing too gruesome they definitely were like well violence isn't necessarily the issue here in japan it's more so pubic hair so you know they you know they and they have a little bit of nudity in there as well and and there is an an unfortunate rape scene that's very uh off-putting um because there's another character who's kind of unexplained of this crazed guy who kind of attacks one of the women in the van who's trying to get away and he kind of talks about how the killer has kind of coerced him into killing the other people that have showed up um who is killed with like an arrow through the head and he kind of sexually assaults the one character uh you know i i guess just because it's kind of one of those like situations where it's like well it didn't need uh it didn't it wasn't an additive moment um like really at all uh like not that that ever is but it it was um it was egregious and it definitely it just like everything else in the film the like the violence it's unflinching it's you're just staring at everything that's happening i think it comes from akita's though it's the it's that pinku kind of um yeah thing because the pinku films you you know there's ones that are incredibly soft core and then there are ones that are i mean some of them were just rougher and he even filmed one of the angel guts uh films mm-hmm. which was a, a rougher set of um of pinku film and um i think it's a little bit of that with it but also jhv again they were doing the guinea pig series and they obviously had they had a porn line as well so they probably were just like well that's kind of like an that's kind of like an obvious thing to have in a slasher movie because you know i mean in the west they definitely had nudity and that kind of thing but um they didn't necessarily focus so much on the mixture of the two which is like sexual sexualized violence which in japan you know they have Garo, and so mm-hmm. to them stuff that's mixing you know the death drive and the sex drive are intrinsically kind of like tied together in a way that to them is more alluring and more like stylized and so uh it's not as shocking to them and i mean to to to, you know to someone still nowadays i mean i think evil dead trap is still a a rough movie like it's like the gore is rough and then that stuff is rough but i it it's not thankfully it's not the focus like most pink films and and other like those type of films like i know there's like that one those are two films that like are the entrails of a virgin or something, which are basically uh, like yeah, it's entrails of a beautiful woman and entrails of a virgin. Uh, yeah, and those are those are those clearly kind of films on the disguised list as, as like creature feature slashers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that's like they they were pushing the pinku into like more, and there's certainly other films in the pinku genre in, in the pinku genre that are more like oh, this is kind of almost like a horror film, and even his previous one called Sex Hunter and 
um, it's, it's a little bit close. It's almost like a, a Pinku version of Suspiria. But um, here, it's kind of like what's kind of expected. And uh, which is which is interesting considering that the guinea pig films largely avoid the sexual violence stuff more so than Evil Dead Trap did, which is really fascinating because you would have think that that would have been where they they would have steered, but the guinea pig films are more so int- interested in just the actual splatter effects and the gore effects and like the the pseudo snuff stuff. So yeah. Um, that kind of crops up. But the third element here that is like, like I said, we get the pseudo snuff opening. We get like the industrial hellscape slasher film. And then towards the end, it basically gets into Cronenberg territory where you have the fact that the guy who said he used to play with his brother is kind of has like a parasitic version of his brother living inside of him that at first you think the movie kind of plays it like maybe he's just mental and that he's got like schizophrenia but no, it's like this actual living, you know, creature inside of him that is his brother that takes on like a fe- a fetus, uh, like a like a a baby like form, basically a psychic baby like form at the end of this film, um, and uh, that's kind of the main reason that she they were Nami is pulled into as a reporter because they they were watching t they were watching her on tv and her appearance reminded them and her voice reminded them of their mother their birth mother which they have animosity towards you know having given birth to them or whatever with their weird kind of symbiotic relationship and um they finally they you know at the end it's just her and them and they kind of have like a face-off um which again feels very different from what came before which was just almost like a slasher film and now we have this kind of body horror-esque science fiction weird Cronenberg showdown at the end, which is kind of the it's 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 interesting, but it's also it feels very uh, long in the tooth that the whole end sequence with that and because they there's a lot of exposition and there's a lot of um you know back and forth between the two and a lot of non endings. I think there's it, like yeah, it, two it or stops three. itself in the action more than once and you're going well there's there's pyrokinesis going there's stuff happening and then it's like okay we gotta stop for a bit to explain like you don't have to no you don't have to explain it just let it happen i need to see the psychokinetic umbilical baby like (laughs) zipping around the room (laughs) right right and it's like it gets stabbed in the guy's body and then he gets set on fire and then he falls out of the like it's like there's a lot of like okay how many times are we gonna have to like kill this baby thing or whatever but um he he puts the baby back inside (laughs) it's that was probably my favorite part it's he's like no you know uh, hideki don't go out and the the baby's trying to strangle Nami with its umbilical cord, and he, he uh, Daisuke takes it and like shoves it back in his chest hole. It's like yeah, uh, okay, yeah. to stab <laughs> it, to stab it, which is, <laughs> to, is yes. very yeah. It's like, I right. mean, and that that, that that's certainly this. I mean, and that might be the writer more so. Um, Takashi Ishii, like it kind of been might have been more so his interest in maybe the brooding or or something very Cronenberg-esque of like, obviously like psychic, like evil offspring child or whatever. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, the mother connection thing is kind of, and that's very, that's very psycho-ish as well. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of that influence and in, in, in that sort of thing, but it's like, they have her now what? Cause it's not, 
they she goes around the, she like kind of explores the lair so she, of this of she this bumbles person. she's bumbling <laughs> yeah and she you know she finds a photo of the mother with like nails through it so there's this kind of like you don't end up knowing what ended up happening to the mother either so you don't know if like she abandoned the kid or something at some point but there's just this like animosity towards them for having i don't know i guess just given birth to them so it's it's very it's weirdly you know the one the one thing that, and i'm sure it influenced it was a uh, malignant that came out in mm-hmm. last year um where that one i'm spoiler alert if you haven't seen malignant uh go see it it's not a great film but you will probably be entertained by it um you know she has the kind of evil sibling inside her inside of her brain or whatever um and who's trying to get back at people because they just tried to like cut out the cancer or whatever they said it was and here it's not there's not really anything implied that they tried to get rid of it or kill it but you can kind of sense that there was something where maybe they were like abandoned at this like um military complex you know yeah it's it's kind of trading on that uh dark half uh feeling where oh what, you know it's a it's I mean, I guess technically conjoined twins, but yeah, it's, it, it's something it, it, like one that. of them didn't develop outside of the body, or at least maybe yeah. had and done that's why, that and, and that, then and that's died and then ha- possessed. Yeah, it's, it's you know, not, they're, it's it's not clear. <laughs> and I mean, it's not a film that really like sets itself out for you to want to to like think about it in a different in a way that like Evil Dead Trap Two wants you to think about kind of. uh certain themes yeah. like like it's like evil dead trap is full on f- full on through an exploitation film but the thing is is that it has artistic sensibilities that make it leagues kind of ahead of most other slashers that are around the same time um and i think that has to deal with the fact that i mean akeda is just a competent director and and clearly the film has a low budget but it does a lot with the military base and again, there's not really a high body count, but they make each kill kind of count as well. And a lot of the attacks on the people are very, it's a very visceral, like um, my favorite is um, a woman who's attacked, the photographer is attacked uh, with a flashing camera that the killer has. And it's only seen through, uh, the. you only watch most of the scene through the flashes until she like reaches forward and, and, and grabs onto the serrated end of a knife and he forces her to pull it. Um, which is a, a, an incredibly gruesome thing to do to someone, obviously, especially a serrated blade. But that and I mean, she gets sliced in the face just by looking through like bars. And um, and then, of course, is the great I mean, she ends up being like, you know, set up for a trap for Nami to come through a door where there's like a the the crossbow that the killer used to like. And if she if the Nami if Nami, Nami doesn't know, she's unaware that it's set up to where if she goes through the door, it's going to shoot the, the crossbow to kill her her the photographer friend and um again it's like this sense of there's a sense of cruelty because nami comes through the door and the crossbow goes off but it misses her friend but of course in being happy that she saved her friend she stumbles upon like the actual real trap which is this large machete that basically just like 
swings right into her friend's face and again it's an incredibly gruesome death um made even more gruesome that nami just kind of walks up and is like oh my god i can't believe that happened <laughs> it's like she's got a blade in the side of her face like, are what? you okay are you okay i tripped on yeah, something yeah she's like oh you're yeah. gonna make it no oh, no your head's still your head's half caved in with the blade that's right. not, not not gonna right. make it and i i think that there's something to be said as far as pretty much all of the kills uh Half of the kills are, are are phallic, and that's I feel that some of that's the rage like against their their mother, and these are all being committed um, primarily like telepathically or you know, telekinetically. Well, that's the that's I mean the, the that's the weird. So like even the camera guy who's with him who's clearly an idiot. Like we don't even see his death on screen. Like literally, no. it's just revealed that his head he's been decapitated. So, um. It's very much, I think, along the lines of like Argento thing, where Argento kills people of the both of both sexes, like clearly, like, but most of the time it's like he genders the way that his his killers kill yeah. their, his victims, and so, yeah, and I mean, it's like the other friend too who escapes the clutches of the rapist uh, crazed man, uh, only to then be like, I, she gets like a, she gets garroted the weird yeah wire flying that, like, wire her neck and and pulls her and again it's an impossible thing where it pulls her over the top of the van and it's an, and then she breaks her neck and it's an incredibly gruesome you know way to go like it's awful yeah like, yeah well it's, it's so, not a it's not a quick death it, it it takes the time to drag her across the top of the little van and then right over the side and crack her head on the ground yeah, which again, it's like the the cameraman got out lucky if he just had his head cut off because <laughs> it's a one and done. You know, yeah, yeah, they're tortured. And I mean, and I mean, thankfully, the Ray character who's been impaled, like she, her body's put up on a hook and thrown and like kind of like hoisted down this long hallway uh, towards them and hits a wall. And but thankfully, she's already dead. So, uh, but there's a thing where like he's pulling. There's the 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 killer's lair is very strange because there's just these like medical beds like as if it were like it used to be kind of like an infirmary or something and there's just white sheets you don't see anything underneath them but he he drags one of the victims there and like pulls off her her hand or something and there's a line where it's like insinuated that hideki the the psychic evil brother or whatever um likes to mutilate them even further after they've died which is very it's, you know, yeah, he's like, hey, don't yeah. don't touch that body anymore or whatever. It's, yeah, because he like, he okay. pulls off the one girl's poor hand, and you're just like, oh god. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely lots of that, and of course, it it it, it definitely it feels more unpredictable in terms of like how things end, and the ending is definitely very kind of like what, huh? And weird and strange, but it kind of it kind of works in its favor because it's it's such a strange um, film. But uh, the the one one really funny note though about it. So when it was released by Synapsis uh, on the cover, it, it had a quote, and they used to do these all the time. But this one says, "A daring and grim thriller reveals Japan's twisted sexual soul, one terrifying scene after another." Oliver Stone, director of Any Given Sunday and Natural Born Killers, like. I don't think anyone has ever gotten to the bottom of whether he said that or not. It's like a, you know how like supposedly Steven Spielberg had, had the quote on the castle of Cali Grostro, the mm-hmm. Hayao Miyazaki. And it was like yeah. completely made up. 
he's like it was just something like the great like the, some of the best act like adventure sequences ever whatever and it was completely made up like it, like i'm sure maybe spielberg has seen the cast like Hollywood, but it was completely fabricated and just slapped on a cover and i can see oliver stone kind of saying this because it's just such a general it's just such a funny thing to even say to like walk away from evil dead trap like a slasher film and be like oh it really reveals japan's like twisted sexual soul even though he's not wrong about how it's it's a more kind of intrinsic mixture of the sexual violence and the and the, and the actual violence um which in the US and the UK was again more of a big no-no in the 80s than it was say in the 70s where things were a bit rougher in the 70s and the 80s it became more focused on the gore and anything that was like a mix of sexual sexualized violence especially in the UK that was a big like no nah, like we're yeah they, ev- everything got banned like <laughs> yeah and i mean you know even slashers slashers became kind of more tame like the kills freddy and friday the, the, the films became more kind of jokey and self-aware yeah. yeah so they were kind of steering away from the ugliness that kind of gave slasher films a bad representation um necessarily early on so that's why it was also kind of and and because also 90s slashers were again were kind of more the the more reverential kind of like scream or i know you did last summer where in those terms those films are incredibly tame in comparison to something like evil dead trap um yeah there's not that i off the top of my head from 80s to the 90s i can't think of something that was a um like a western release that feels like this that, at least that uh, was something mainstream. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that I I wouldn't say that there was a '90s slasher film that even comes close to how gruesome the deaths are. The closest thing I could say is something like My Bloody Valentine from the early '80s, mm-hmm. um, because of how mean spirited. But that was Canadian, <laughs> so. Uh, but like I said, I think horror kind of stepped away from like more so the burning and, and those kind of like the burning too is like a, a film that, like I said, the, 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 the deaths are incredibly gruesome and mean spirited and slashers in a way had to kind of change with the times. And so, you know, by the early nineties when horror was just really almost dying again, there weren't many mainstream horror films doing that. And by that time, finally, I think that's when Guinea pig and, you know, even Evil Dead Trap probably was catching the attention of hardcore horror fans who really kind of missed that sort of um, more extreme sensibility. Um, and so then when the early 2000s came wrong and like bootlegs and this or that, then it was easy to see why they would release something like Evil Dead Trap too. And it, you know, it was pretty widely accepted then as a pretty good horror film. But also, again, very unlike The Ring or The Grudge or the other horror films being put out at the time on dvd so yeah and that that's when i um first picked this up was the 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 first um ntsc release and i don't know why i think i just grabbed it uh because i was picking up other um a lot of the tartanasia extreme films yeah i and that's the thing is like i said it was on mandy apple which again was which covered all everything asian horror mm-hmm. and that's how i kind of came across it and even though they really said it was they really hated it i was like well, i gotta kind of see it for myself and so i had picked it up and was um and and it was around the same time that i was discovering category three films which is probably okay. what it's more closer to yeah yeah you know? that's that holds a lot um all, all the cat three films um from uh 
uh, Hong Kong. Those yeah. those sit in that like sort of revelry of uh, sex, violence, uh, mean spirit, uh, thing, occult like, things. There's it's just a blend yeah. of whatever sells, and it all sold <laughs> really well. But I mean, but besides like the guinea pig films, I mean, there really wouldn't be anything else like that or even light evil that trap even late like i said you can look at japanese slashers and there's not there i mean probably the closest thing at that time would be someone saying something like itchy the killer because of just the level of violence in that film and how they could kind of connect evil dead trap to that even though now apparently a lot of more modern horror directors in japan do reference evil dead trap as like a film that inspired them which is cool in the same way that kiyoshi kurosawa was inspired by something like jigoku like the art house horror films of yeah. the 60s mm-hmm. and now it's you know we have horror directors with, with more modern sensibilities in japan making stuff that's obviously inspired by evil dead trap because it's it is and like I said, no one can really argue that it's not a stylishly shot film, and that I think there was there's definitely some talent that Ikeda had. Um, but he apparently said he hated horror and like he had never watched he watched it, he did a commentary for it, so he clearly had seen the film. But I think he kind of you know, for him it might have been like a a work for hire thing, which, you know, later when we get to the third film is more obvious that yeah. you know that might be might have been more interested in something else but he made a good he made a really solid slasher horror film um but i think what comes next is 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 honestly more interesting even though i love evil dead trap uh, the next film is more interesting in a million different ways than evil dead trap one is so yeah there, there's a lot more going on so evil dead trap 2 hideki uh was released in 1992 and that was directed by hashimoto izo I don't, off the top of my head, have the the um, screenwriters pulled up, but the uh, Izo oh, um, and the other writer uh, had, well, Izo in particular, I think, had done the um, Akira screenplay. Uh, yeah, I, I I know exactly who you're talking. I I don't know. Why I didn't have it pulled up. Let me pull yeah, it really quickly. Yeah, so this time around, what's interesting is um, Chia, it was uh, Chihaki Konaka, who yeah. would later become a very, very influential and amazing anime writer um, for shows such as The Big O and um, uh, uh, Technolize. Serial, Serial Experiments Lane. Serial Experiments Lane. And yeah. so even just from that, you can get a sense that, you know, so it's it's interesting to me that like I guess Evil Dead Trap did well enough in Japan that it warranted a sequel, and not only that, but I mean it's only sequel by name, so it's made by JHV still, and and again another interesting connection with with Guinea Pig is that Izo Hashimoto, you know he did um, Lucky Sky Diamond, which for years was kind of people thought was an unofficial um, Guinea Pig film. Uh, like, and that was made in 1990. Even though by that point, basically after Devil Doctor Woman, the guinea pigs officially were done, and so he made the short film called Lucky Stick Guy Diamond, which is a very low budget, starring Shiro Sano. Uh, you know, very strange. I don't even think I've seen it with subtitles. Still, it's that kind of a obscurity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and um he was picked up to do basically the, the sequel or sort of sequel and the only other connection is hideki so in the first film the psychic evil baby brother is called hideki and in evil dead trap 2 there's another child as well that's named hideki that's kind of causing trouble for the characters as well but in a completely different way so um that's kind of where the connections kind of like start and end with in terms of like the actual the actual films because evil dead trap 2 is a whole different beast and i I, I, I was thinking about it more because I've I've actually covered Evil Dead Trap 2 on my podcast, Kawhi Trash, where I talked about it with Astrid Budgore and MK Rhodes. Um, and what's fascinating is it lives in the shadow of Evil Dead Trap, really, because it's not exactly a slasher. It's more of like a psychological horror film, um, even though it's incredibly it's still very incredibly violent, but not I wouldn't say to the level that like Evil Dead Trap is. Um, um, and such as well and um but it's a i i so i bought it for a dollar at a exchange just like a, a dvd store here um local and um i saw like unearthed films i was like oh they released because they they originally released the guinea pig box set in the u.s um on dvd and a few other asian horror titles as well extreme ones and they released evil dead trap 2 not synapsis and so i'd seen evil dead trap 1 i loved evil trap 1 evil dead trap 1 but I had just read about how people just didn't like Evil Dead Trap 2 because they were like, it's not a slasher film. It's not really almost a horror film. And they're wrong. It really is a horror it, film. Yes. Um, and I kind of, I bought it for a dollar and I watched it just kind of like on a, oh, whatever. And I was completely blown away by it because it's a, it's a very, so the Evil, Evil Dead Trap 1 is more of like an exploitation slasher film. Evil Dead Trap 2 is this enigmatic, mystical kind of um psychological horror film uh, and um it's the one thing that's more interesting is it's more actually female centric than the first film in terms of actually dealing with the sensibilities of its characters being female than evil dead trap one is do you know what i mean uh yeah the there, there's a few male characters they're they're they barely count as tertiary characters they're kind of just one-offs um and then we do have um kurahashi who's a weird linchpin in the whole mess but sort of, uh, yeah. he's not a um well n none of these none of these characters are good people uh but he's pretty scummy yeah but i mean uh, you know so the well evil so for people who don't know evil dead trap 2 is basically about this female projectionist and this local reporter who used to be who's an ex-idol and they kind of have a like she's kind of they're ch they're childhood kind of, friends so from high school yeah. yeah yeah but you can kind of get a sense it's a way of like you know uh i mean uh, the main the main character aki is you know she's this overweight female projectionist who and she's the protagonist, which is really amazing to think about in terms of like representation around that time in a horror film of having a, a, a it be someone who's not like a a blonde. Bombshell, I mean, any any know, time kind of. really. This is like super progressive in that instance. Yeah, and and then even in Japan too, because I don't I don't know the dichotomy of, of like if Japanese horror if horror was popular with women in Japan around the time I. 
that's one thing I tried to look up because you think, you know, at the time horror in Japan was largely, you know, video based stuff. And then, you know, you have the guinea pig and, and all the other more extreme stuff, which you would think is more male centric at the time. Um, obviously now, you know, horror is, is, a, is such a huge genre that, you know, I mean, but even in the eighties, they like when they did polls on who watched slasher films, it was 50, 50 men and women. So you know, it's it's fascinating that we you know we get our main our main character is is definitely not you know who you expect out of like a, a, out of any kind of standard horror film, and she's like the focal point, and she's kind of like she's kind of shy, and she's kind of in her shell, and her friend, who's this um like I said this ex idol now reporter Emmy is trying to kind of get her out of that shell, kind of sexually by introducing her to her friend Kurahashi. Um, even though their connection is really kind of aloof. Um, but the whole focal point in the movie is from Aki's perspective. And that's incredibly important to kind of understanding the film because we see Aki working at the at the at the theater she works at, but then at night, um we see her after these women are brutally attacked on the street that have kind of had a sort of casual relation with Aki and that like the first victim that we see who's killed and has her ovaries cut out basically is a prostitute that flicks a cigarette at Aki while she's leaving work. And um, we see Aki after the murder has happened, but we never see her actually doing it. And so it's fascinating that our main character, our main protagonist is, is this who might be an actual psychopathic killer you know at night and then at daytime she's just kind of like a typical kind of nerdy film projectionist um and uh the film you know starts to kind of do the thing where it's like well what is really reality and what is really fantasy for aki and that's kind of where the horror of the of the film kind of comes out because she starts seeing this little boy at the theater and uh and at other places and it frightens her now we as the audience know no relation between the two like there's no indication between the two at all and um until it starts affecting the other characters and so that's where hideki kind of ends up tying in all of the characters and the actual like i said the horror element of the film which is that hideki this kid is haunting um aki but it also starts haunting kurahashi and then it starts haunting emmy um in a way that's not like like a jew on the grudge where he's like scaring them maybe scaring aki um but he starts affecting them in a way where it's like this kind of at first a love triangle but then you like i said it kind of spirals out then even um and gets kind of loonier and loonier <laughs> and bloodier and bloodier definitely um yeah there's there's a lot that's happening with uh all three of these characters where none of them or none of their points of view can be fully uh, relied upon because they're they're uh, aki in particular isn't um cognizant of like her situation all the time so there's murders going on that she may be committing but if that's the right. case, she has no active memory of it. Or control. Like, yeah. It seems like something... It it's seems it's, like it's something beyond her. her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like a... 
I mean, that's where it's almost like the dream thing. It's like, like I said, she kind of goes home from her everyday job, and then it's almost kind of like a nightmare scenario where she becomes this other this other version of herself where she sees herself as as sexier and more vulnerable and more um not what her normal you know everyday kind of character is but the thing is no one else also sees that like emmy doesn't see that and kurahashi definitely doesn't see but he kind of he kind of is trying to get that out of her because emmy again puts puts kurahashi this sort of um i don't know he's kind of like a middle class uh accountant business guy yeah he's like a man management yeah it's really unclear where emmy met him that's the thing besides the fact of what the film ends up kind of going towards the end of like who kurashi might actually be but he for him his character i mean he goes home he has a wife and he kind of hides that fact at first to the other characters but he goes up to a wife who is kind of um has been affected by the fact that they can't they can't have a child um and so his wife is kind of you know infatuated with the fact of like this this hideki or this 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 child that they've never had and that's why he kind of gets away from his wife to try and have these kind of sexual affairs with these other women um even though it's very unclear again what he's kind of getting out of this besides his own kind of sexual satisfaction or the fact that he 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 might be playing the women as well or pitting them against each other um, and then Emmy, the reporter ex-idol, who has an infatuation kind of with like, I mean, Aki get, gets her a book of like photography of the of, of of the dead, like actual dead, like corpse photos and stuff. And she's reporting on these horrible, horrific murders, where she's starting to kind of get turned on by their gruesomeness. You know, when like they they go to report of a woman, they find her corpse, and like I said, her her ovaries have been cut out um she kind of gets turned on by it and then has sex with kurahashi um and um supposedly gets pregnant you know and that's kind of like a thing where it like i said that's when things get kind of even messier in terms of um the plot and whatnot um but uh it's first off the film is incredibly stylish like it yeah in it's it's really it's even more stylish than the first film and it uses the industrial backdrop of tokyo or wherever it takes place like construction sites and then also these lit up signs like this kind of commercialized district of where they're at Um, yeah the all of the billboards uh those parts of the city in general become uh, sort of like as the military base did like it's it, it's very much its own character and they're uh they don't feel as much like set pieces uh it it, it feels something that the characters are are involved with on a like a mental level there's a continued right. um bit with uh uh Aki, where they were at a restaurant and, and had seen an um an idol and that that crops up v- visually in her memory like she's having flashbacks of that right. but it's it's also because it's this shining golden idol and they do the same with the uh, uh probably again in this film my my favorite sequence is uh 
there's a bit where she's she's chasing after one of her her victims and they run across like a bit of scaffolding in front of these uh these glowing billboards and right, they're, they're just seen incredible. in silhouette and it, it's just describe me it alone doesn't do it justice it's, it's fantastic and there's a lot of use of reflections in this movie like constantly yeah. so that's another thing where the knockout shot is the is the one where she's chased the woman into the river yeah uh and it's it's so far back and you see her like murdering her basically in the river it's probably the only time you see aki actually but the thing is it's it's so far back you can't really tell if it's her or not that's why it's the movie is very tricky in the way it kind of portrays aki as if she, is she really a psychopath or is she not like is she really crazy or not and you know, you mentioned the billboards and stuff, you know, I had, I, I, it's really funny. I've seen this film about four times now. And this last time watching it for this podcast, I, at first almost, I almost felt frustrated because I, I, you know, you watch a movie and you feel like you kind of figure it out the more you watch it. And this time around, it felt more alienating in what it was trying to get at versus say like evil dead trap, obviously very straightforward and evil and evil dead trap too. And it's, it's not, I think it's watching them so close together. And that's probably why people don't like Evil Dead Trap 2, because they probably watch the first one and then they watch this one. It's because this, this film is, tr- is, is trying to convey something so abstractly and so formally through, um, you know, its style that um, I think the first time you watch it, you can kind of get a sense that it's there. And, um, unlike the other film where there's not really much of like a deeper level of like what it's about versus this one where it, by the end of it, you're almost kind of like it, it, it through its style and, and, and through its, like I said, its sequences and stuff kind of conveys an idea that is still very, and again, it's a, it feels like it's a very enigmatic film, but um, there was something watching it this time around that kind of confirmed some things for me because you know, the shift, the, the small shift four years later between the 80s and the 90s, you know, you have Japan definitely going in decline, economic decline, and this or that. And, um, you know, the film kind of focusing in on, you know, you know, later in the film, it's kind of uncovered that uh, Aki at some point had an abortion, um, which is, which might, might or might not be the actual source of uh the trauma she's kind of like trying to get away from in the film um yeah i i i read that as like that's what it is um and that's also why she's in her everyday life has like steered herself away from uh general uh outward displays of womanhood yeah yeah i mean she does she doesn't wear makeup she doesn't wear perfume not that those things go like you have to have this to be a woman but they in this context that's what they're coded as it's the pressure for it it's like the societal pressure for it she's trying to opt out of that and is as much a shut-in as you can kind of be, but still be performing in society. That I mean, she's she's her job is outright spoken um, as like, oh, wouldn't have expected like that to be a woman's job, and she's she's, in right, it. she's a projectionist, right. and you don't see her. 
she's performing uh she's performing a service that you can't um you don't see the person doing it like it, it, well it's, and it's, it's also a, not specifically gendered which is they bring no. up they yeah. bring up they're like well that's and that and that's the thing i mean you know japan shifting away from this kind of like or even just you know society in general like women needing to fit that role of being fertile having children being a stay-at-home woman and you know her quietly progressively you know guiding where she wants her life to be but at the same time it's like inescapable inescapable for her when literally behind her is like like in these billboards you know at night and stuff where which like i said the metaphor there for me is that people it's the kind of thing that people can miss even though it's so clearly it's like like the murders themselves like if people really paid attention they would clearly see aki or whoever it is committing these murders but because again they're like kind of these awful things that society would rather not deal with these attacks on women where they're they're clearly you know their ovaries are cut out which is very much like a thing of like you know retribution for the fact that other women are using sex to kind of procreate you know to like to you know to 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 have children or whatnot and if it's aki doing this you know it's it's even more interesting in in the fact that again it's like is she really being haunted by the fact that she's she's had this abortion now the film is very very unclear on why or how or if that even happened which to me is why it's so fascinating like it's it's a very much a postmodern thing film basically in that like hideki what hideki really is 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 so unclear because we see hideki but here's the thing about the little boy and hideki it's very amazing to watch in the film whenever we see hideki through the eyes of anyone in person it's clearly not a real child actor it's like it's really creepy it's like it's like a it's like a mannequin or a a special effect face and it, even when yeah even when, it, it looks like the duracell people it's it's like there's a it, it's yeah there's a very uncanny valleyness to it yeah of like it, almost it, like it has an old person makeup on a child right and when you see because Hideki starts cropping up and because emmy starts doing reporting footage and she throws a party about like again having her reports or whatever and they they show like um the uh one of the latest victims and in the background hideki the little the ghost child is there in the background um but even there it's so unclear whether or not it's a real human kid or not and, like and the film yeah. avoids like that kind of thing where even so in the film aki you know on one of her nights where she's almost possessed by something else she goes out and she goes to a like bar inside of like a junkyard or something and goes there to seduce a couple like bums that are there. And when they start engaging in sex, she sees she sees Hideki's like silhouette or something in in wherever they're having sex. But the thing that makes it weird is obviously it affects Aki, but then even the men recognize that there's a figure there as well. Yeah, the the men were they, they ran away. They were scared by yeah, they were scared what um, they saw. And then also, you know, Kurohashi comes home to his wife who says, "Oh, Hideki came back home." And there is the child then. And so, again, it's very much like this Hideki, this ghost child, starts affecting the other characters in a way that's beyond even Aki. Because Aki's clearly not present, you know, um, during those sequences. Yeah, when, when uh, And then, 
and then emmy you know she's she thinks she has kurahashi's child she's bearing kurahashi's child and she's there's this kind of like fading glory to her as an ex-idol that is kind of affecting her so it's very much like she's at the end of her cycle to even bear child so now all of a sudden she feels like she has to have this kid um and again it's it's very much this kind of like societal pressure for women to have children and um like again it was i was like kind of like in my head i was like is it really though and i saw a review on letterbox from this the user here lies west who i think puts it into puts it into terms that i think is very clear which um quote they say because regardless of whether evil dead trap 2 is pro or anti-abortion and they say i think it is in the end it's ambivalent it's unconcerned with telling women what to do with their bodies and simply engaging with the fact that society very much does concern itself with that it is resultly anti-child perhaps not to the extent of being totally anti-natalist but as discussed with a friend after watching what the film really takes as its object is the horror and the totally formal demand by society on itself to reproduce itself. Many other films concern themselves with this topic in a negative sense, like Children of Men, but here we have the unborn generation functioning as a normal, tormenting and haunting, and haunting the already living, taking and demanding their nutrients with the goal of bringing themselves into existence. Women obviously find themselves at the locus of their societal expectation, and so the differentiating factor between main, the main women in this film is the different ways they relate to and are pained by that pressure. So that's, and like it took me this fourth time to realize, like really, that's Evil Dead Trap Two is like has so much on its mind, like more than just a traditional horror film, which is why I think so many people are let down by it, but in a way it's it's so much more cerebral than you would expect and um i think that comes from chiaki kanaka who again he did serial experiments lane and that one was like about the internet and here we have a film about again the societal pressures in the 90s for women to bear child especially in a declining birth rate japan where you know the government is trying all they can do to kind of like make sure that women you know procreate um and, and 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 the other thing that I looked up too is because I was like, well, I don't really know much about abortion in Japan as well, and so I looked it up. And basically, this is a quote from a a, a um a medical journal on abortion in Japan that abortion is essentially a crime except for certain indications. These indications have to do with mental illness, hereditary disease, leprosy, threat to the health of the mother, and the pregnancy resulting from a rape or a threat. Now, in the movie, there's never a we get a sense that Aki had an abortion and it's, and that's what she's, that's what she is clearly being haunted by. But not only that, but again, like Hideki taking this sort of this unborn thing of like, you know, society pressures women so much so that it's affecting them psychologically that it's making them feel guilty for not having children. And that's what this realized Hideki is. It's like this evil specter because it gets even more complicated because Aki's boss is like, well, why don't you go visit this woman who is a spiritualist, who is this, this like, who runs this kind of cult religion sort of thing, um, and she goes there to kind of get assistance for like what she's been experiencing. And that woman kind of guides her and says, "There's these dark forces that are controlling your life, um, and you have to kind of master them, or they'll basically destroy you." And um, you know, it's and it, what's interesting is that character too 
couldn't bear a child so that's why she turned to kind of spirit to her spirituality and religion even if it may be false that's what she kind of turned to to kind of survive even though she she's like her character has cancer even though she takes her own life as well and um it's 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 an incredible film to like once you put into focus that's what's affecting all of these characters especially the female characters because what ends up happening is that emmy and aki then are turned against each other even though they're supposed to be the best of friends and now Emmy wants to kill Aki because Aki wants to stop this child from being born in Emmy. Um, and Emmy, even herself, may be possessed by this the, the, these evil powers or whatever, wants to kill Aki because she kind of sees her as being kind of like obsolete as well. Um, and they come to head in this gruesome, bloody, you know, kind of showdown in uh, this construction site where they're building over this abandoned um, yeah, fertility it was a, Yeah. He was like an abortion clinic mm -hmm. uh, that Aki might have gone to. Um, and, um, you know, and again, that's a theme, too, within the film where it's like we can just build over it. There's no like if we build over it, then it doesn't exist. And these evil spirits can't because they say that something went down there for them to be building a shopping mall over this abortion clinic. And as if like, again, like, as if that's going to fix things that people are going to be like buying, you know, being consumerist without, without the, without knowing that below it, you know, um, there had once been an abortion clinic and um, that's where the film kind of like, again, like comes to its close on whether or not. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, I think it's sitting on that idea uh, that the, the film's playing with it a little bit where if you're, if you're burying this um, fertility, abortion clinic then it's saying that like no, no don't get rid of it you know consume and produce right like like it's just it's another layer of that of as that if it's not pressure. a bad thing you know yeah that's yeah the thing is, is, is if it's not a bad thing when clearly people everyone in the movie has been affected by the fact that they can't have a child or they or they or had to or they had to get rid of the choose right yeah and just from that, like, but just from researching on, like, you know, abortion law in Japan, we can take it that maybe either Aki had been raped at some point, and that's why she wanted to get rid of her child, or it, it's even, the, the amazing thing is, it's even the idea that maybe she, that hadn't, that didn't even happen, but again, the societal pressure is there, that it's so heavy, that it is basically manifesting this kind of thing, but um, we couldn't, you can kind of hopefully at the end of the film seem to see it as Aki coming to terms with it finally and that letting her kind of get over it. And so it, it, it in the end, it can't destroy her then because she's kind of become, to, she's come to terms with her trauma, whatever that trauma may be. It's very unclear at the end of the film, you know, she's, I felt in the second time of watching this, that um, she's, she's recovering and, accepting the guilt of what she's done in as much as the, the abortion was concerned yeah i don't think i don't think the the murders factor into that really at that point because well, a, lo a lot a lot of that's her raging against that demand from society right. by by getting rid of the women that are they're promiscuous in, they're, or, well they're in, they're engaging you know. in their sexuality uh without the um they're not trying to to procreate 
Right, because I mean, the one victim is like a prostitute, and the other one is kind of unclear. I'm I'm assuming that she's probably just because uh, it's not because the attacks afterwards become kind of indiscriminate, except for the last one, which is like her coworker. Even though that's not technically her who did that, but um, yeah, I think it's still in a way. I mean, because like the the spiritual is talking about how like there's dark forces that are controlling you, and those attacks being this kind of impulse by this at this point she hasn't come to terms with her trauma and Hideki kind of again like lashing out and like attacking and killing women and again removing their ovaries in a way that's very much like this kind of like you know I don't know violent subconscious way of dealing with it you know because and it's because she hasn't come to terms with it that it's something that's out of her control which is which is very strongly something that I think horror has dealt with you know yeah and uh, the film clearly, like Emmy by the end, it seems like she's kind of lost her marbles or she's also under the influence of this darker power that, you know, wants to get retribution for the fact that it's not born or hasn't been born. And again, I think I think that kind of postmodern idea is just absolutely brilliant. And like I said, in, in a horror film, it's the perfect it's the perfect way to kind of it's not straightforward. It's a it's a challenging film. And I think, like I said, that's the thing where it's it's it really isn't straightforward with um all everything that it, it it conveys and not only that but like i said the 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 soundtrack is is incredible and the um again the way it's so massaged thank god so thankfully evil dead trap 1 got released on blu-ray by unearth films last year and evil dead trap 2 is coming out this year on blu-ray and it definitely more so than evil dead evil dead trap 1 deserves the uh, blu-ray an hd scan because it's a, it's an absolutely amazing looking film yeah um, it's it, it's a it's very it, it's using that visual medium to like i think it's utmost in trying to convey all of these themes it's like, cliche to say nightmarish but it really it really earns that because by the because like i said by like three-fourths of the way through it it really just doesn't stop to look back no. and it's like full tilt like you're in this you're in this or you're not and so it's a very kind of and 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 again it has like like I said, it has very stylized violence and there's an incredibly gruesome uh, bodily harm, harm, bodily harm thing at the very end that is just, well, really, I mean, shock anyone because it's, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere and it's incredibly gruesome, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, they did, like I said, I, I don't know what, I, I it might've been a thing where the producers were like, make a horror movie and this is what they came back with, which it is yeah. like, you can't deny that it yeah. isn't, but it's just, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more thought out and a lot more thoughtful and a lot more abstract and a lot more, um, um, uh, interesting than evil dead trap is in that regard. And, um, it really deserves to be rediscovered. I really hope that this, this second, um, or this Blu-ray release of it comes out because Again, I think most people who saw it when it came out originally through Unearth were like, oh, so this is going to be like a guinea pig film, or this is going to be like a gory slash like Evil, Trap, Evil Dead Trap 1, and it wasn't, so most people regarded it as just kind of like whatever. It's just kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a bad sequel in a name association alone, which, which, you know, leads us to Evil Dead Trap 3. <laughs> yeah, I will throw in a, a, a final note on 2. Uh, it's not really on two in particular, but on the, uh, the co-writer for this one, he, in addition to doing serial experiments lane, he, um, co-wrote for, or he was 
wrote for the um, anime Technolize, which if you haven't seen that, I would highly recommend it because it it deals with some of the themes, not not um, the abortion theme, but some of the other things that this is dealing with socially uh, in a similar way. Like it's it's this kind of unreliable, like what is going on fashion i mean that late lane kind of played with that is, too. yeah is like is like the internet version of this like it really is like and i mean everything he's done armitage and you know uh mononoke the the anime tv series not princess mononoke which is to yeah. me one of the absolute best animes of the last decade incredibly intelligent like anime writing um that i mean it's not to say that all anime is big and dumb or whatever but like in along the lines of like evangelion and um the the headier anime that's out there that really tries to kind of you know get to something like psychologically or socially that uh is not very cl- it's, it's not that it's not clear it's just that it's very it 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 expects you to be a bit smarter with it <laughs> like like yeah. it, it it kind of yeah so Anyway, yes, uh, that'll that'll bring us right into uh, Evil Dead Trap Three, or I think it's maybe mistranslated Broken Love Killer, but it's a uh, the insanity I, of yeah, the insanity, insanity of love. Of love. The, yeah, yeah. Um, so this one was released in 1993, so a year after Evil Dead Trap Two, and pretty much I think everyone just realized, oh, Evil Dead Trap One and Two are kind of that, and even then, like I said, besides Hideki. And it being produced by JHV, I think most people are just like, well, they're kind of unrelated, even if they do talk about like evil babies or whatever. And this one um, was only till later that I think, you know, people were like, well, it was made by Ikeda again, directing. And then the screenplay was by Takashi Ishii. So the, the duo that made the first film, but it's more of it's more of an actual straight thriller, uh, serial killer esque murder thriller than Evil Dead Trap One or Two. And yeah, it, they're they're recycling it, some names. They love uh, Nami and uh, the Marakis, <laughs> like, right? And Shiro Sano, who played who played Kurohashi in Two, is in it as well. Mm. Even though I think again he was just kind of like a, they could use him for anything because they they could. Just, I liked his performance in this better. Uh, Probably I don't because know, I didn't really, like, I didn't really yeah. care for um, Karashi's character. I, I think him as uh, uh, Professor Muraki was something he could have a little bit more fun with. Uh, it's, I mean, probably. But the 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 problem with his performance and it's it's Evil Dead Trap Three in general. So by association and the two there it really i wouldn't even i really would not rope it in with evil dead trap one or two um and on that regard like if it had been released as broken love killer on a a dvd or whatever no one would be talking about it like it's one of those films that um its high points are some style some style and um for me personally it was a scene where so Broken Love Killer is, like I said, it's kind of like a, there's a, a detective who's kind of uncovering uh, these these murder, it starts with a suicide of a student who says they fell in love with Shiro Sano's character, a professor, 
and there's some some connection with them with a murder mystery where someone went missing five years prior that was also a student of the professor and so yoko the main character is just kind of like this bumbling nancy drew type detective who's trying to uncover everything and um it's one of those thrillers that's just insipid because you fully predict and understand where it's going and it still goes through the paces of like her going places and people just giving her exposition like just there being exposition dumps and characters acting funny and you just knowing straight from the start like what's how it's going to turn out so there's like no there's no suspense there's no you know there's not even any kind of really silly or weird set pieces there there are some murders but they're very humdrum and goofy and then the even even the stuff that it gets to where basically like the killer is killing women to appease the fact that he had an affair um and it drove his wife insane so they cut up the bodies to feed the seagulls because the seagulls are a representation of him kind of like um pe- having penance for having cheated on his wife or whatever and um but the thing is you know instantly that he's he's an evil he's the evil killer or whatever so it's like it's again you're just sitting there kind of waiting for something else interesting to happen and the main character is kind of an idiot and (laughs) she may be contender for like the worst female detective detective, or or detective she's just really bad at her job how did she get this job she like is like i gotta be really sneaky so i'm gonna go park my car across from where he can see me through his window and it's just like and then and then there's a weird thing where she starts to slowly fall in love with the professor and honestly this is where i like i said shiro sano he's, <laughs> he's not exactly like brad pitt or someone you you just a student would just be enamored with it's supposed to be he's he's his his, his intellect or his intelligence no but, um for for her uh she it's the kendo right like yeah well he's a kendo kendo instructor and she met with him on a high school trip to the call or to a college i think which comes out later way way later yeah and you realize that oh she and her best friend were like enamored with him uh back in high school like years ago even so though she's on this case, like from the beginning, she doesn't mention this at all or remember. Yeah, this at no, all. it doesn't. It comes up at the last second, yeah. and it it feels like it feels like they're like retconning as they're writing. Like yeah, we need, it's like we need some extra motivations, and yeah, it's telegraphing what it's going to be doing, and I think that uh, the bits that it's insinuating uh could happen would have been more interesting had they leaned into uh some sleaze of the more or well sleaze or just or uh, i mean even going into like the spiritual possession angle uh the the professor himself um is the uh, he holds a fairly high position in a local or local to his hometown um kagura it's a spirit dance that's meant to entertain the gods but yeah. also acts as a vehicle to um possession through shamanism and it's right. it's posited that uh his wife uh she she's aware of the first infidelity that he did and then he just 
keeps she, like, bringing kills her, lady. I think. She, 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 and yeah, and she, it's like it's like she's like she becomes like kind of sweet after she's murdered after they murdered someone, a young female or whatever. Yeah, his his it's, wife. Yeah. She became mentally unstable after she realized he was cheating. Yeah, they they kill the the girl involved in it and it restores her temporarily to sanity to to his to the wife that he knew and loved and then over time she she goes crazy again so he has to keep getting women to to sacrifice to um regain her sanity Right. So, and where do they go? They go. They go to a local lesbian club in Rapungi or whatever, and they're just. And that's to me the most interesting thing because we. I've rarely seen you know. And I, I personally, for me, I understand a little bit more about gay culture in Japan. Um, you know, and mo- mostly from a male perspective. Even though yeah, you know, I, I was going to bring Japan this up is, be, because of that. I was like, I this is like the first instance i can think of that i that i've seen like a lesbian bar in a right. film and i was like I yeah, is that yeah. how it is this is very classy uh it's very strange and weird Jewish. yeah the yeah it doesn't thing is the, the most interesting thing is is one shot where the bartender there's a uh, there's an insinuation that the bartender might be trans because not uh, the main character yoko goes in there and she's like i i wearing like a stupid she's got what like this like She's wearing utility. Well, it's a it's yeah. a utility worker um, undercover yeah. outfit, which is and so she's yeah. got to like get in the lesbian club by doing what by seducing the bar the the person at the front door who's the barmaid or the bartender, and so she like grabs the bartender, shoves her hand in her on her boobs, and is like, "I'm gay. Why let me in?" Which then the bartender like puts a scarf around her neck and it's like, "You're cute. Let me go get you a drink." But there's a her she looks at the bartender's breasts, her cleavage. And the bartender covers them up. And the bartender is kind of androgynous. She, they have a very um, androgynous kind of look. And that yeah. to me was infinitely more interesting than anything else in this movie. Because, but it's still, again, it still felt very much like it kind of drops it in there. And then I thought it was going to do like a, um, I thought it was heading towards like a, a dress to kill kind of it being him dressed as his wife, which there is kind of an insinuation that he puts on a wig and it's kind of like maybe. No, yeah, he's, 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 he's he says that he dresses as a woman to go pick up women, which to kill them, which which we never see. We see like, it firsthand. Yeah, so well, we see it, this part. Clearly, <laughs> he's he's the most know. like not a woman figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so and I but I knew that I just knew like see like her seeing like and so it, again it just spends its time and um it's just kind of doing not doing anything because we get well like a set piece of where she's in her car and she's attacked where the windows are broken out and um people walk in and get their head lopped off whatever with an axe and it's just kind of it's so and it's again it's missing the kind of grittiness of Evil Dead Trap and then it's missing kind of the uh, perverse enigmatic psychosexualness of uh, Evil Dead Trap 2 and it's just kind of like a made for TV procedural murder thing where it, it, the, even the, the end is an answer is anticlimax like underlined and, and, and bold like it's just like it's revealed that it's him and again it, it's so nonsensical and that it's like well he was trying to appease the gods and blah 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 by cutting up women young women and then throwing it into the ocean and like the torso still show it makes no sense 
And uh, again, you don't care about the main character. You don't care for her safety or anything because she's such an idiot that like you're just like. So it's uh, it's unfortunately, again, it's as a footnote. There's a reason why it's a footnote as like Evil Dead Trap Three versus say, you know, Evil Dead Trap Two and One. It's very insubstantial in terms of the interest. I think that it it tries to drum up and it's and it's and it's longer than the other two films. Yeah, it's really long, and I I was interested in all of the trappings of things that it seemed like it wanted to talk about, but then didn't. Like it just it it, it gives you a lot of like one of those one of those um, yeah it's giving you cultural touchstones that someone like if you're Japanese you'll just understand and immediately like catalog but um, if you're a Westerner watching this and going like there it's doing things that seem to like have more meaning within the context of the film but then don't go anywhere so it doesn't matter that yeah, it's there it's, and that, that was yeah. like disappointing um what i did however i i, I detective muto is um the uh, he's not really a sidekick he's the local detective that she gets assigned to help her because uh, she when she's investigating the professor it's not in her district like she's out of district yeah. to go to talk to him so he's the best character he's like kind of a frumpy i don't know he's, he's kind of like columbo-y uh but it turns are you out the, that are you talking about the guy on the island like when she finally gets no no him? no not him just the, 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 the muto is the guy that gets like he he's constantly axed. food yeah he's kind oh, of a goofball yeah. he's not yeah, a it, he's it, not great either but He's no Detective Gumshoe, yeah. No, no, a, but he, I, yeah. I liked him. And then uh, when I was looking up his filmography, it's like, oh, he's the main character for Crazy Thunder Road, like the protagonist. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I'm more interested in that. Like, Yeah, right, right. I was like, yeah. I've watched this movie and that just that steered me toward like other better films. <laughs> <laughs> right and i mean yeah like the ritual they do it's no katugaba from nuri the curse let's just say that like, no no it's no, just no, kind it's of just him in a wig and he just kind of sort of dance I, it's, it's no it's really it's a, the, the that's the thing is they're not showing you that's like step one of a five step <laughs> very yeah. long thing it's like the sword ritual is the beginning of it and then they have to do a lot of other purification rites it, it, it goes into um if you look up what kagura does it makes sense in context of what like the characters is thinking is happening like the, the yeah. professor like he's he's doing those rituals for a reason and like he's able to do them uh and then it, it, it does like that the final act um he's possessed by his dead wife uh, or he's just he's probably just crazy but it would have been infinitely more interesting oh, if in so fact silly. he was possessed so because it's silly. just him doing a funky voice it, oh it's bad it's 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 almost camp but it's like it's let me let me just try to make sure i steer anyone away from watching it because it's really not worth your time no no this is a but long like <laughs> it's not it's worth a drawn out of, it makes you think like oh he hated doing horror films well what did he love doing boring ass detective movies because and even ishii who has written tons of like more extreme films like you really like what was this made for tv what what was the what was the draw here there's no there's no gore there's no personality and then the style 
sometimes is a shot that's cool, but the thing is there's a blue filter they use on everything and it just the movie doesn't have a great transfer because it's only been released on VHS, I think, and so and through bootleg. And so it's a very muddy, very dark, very blue. Maybe it looks great if it had an HD scan, but of course it didn't get an HD scan. Only Evil Dead Trap 1 and 2 did. I wonder why. And um let's just say if arrow released a box set they wouldn't they wouldn't be uh 4k scanning it <laughs> like they wouldn't be they would be leaving it off as well so um yeah and, and i mean that was my maybe my only high points was i enjoyed the use of color in this one and the soundtrack but that was kind it's, of it and that's not enough yeah. to like go hey at least watch it for that no don't watch this no, movie it's not go it's, go go watch repeatedly uh, evil dead trap 2 because it's it's there's there's boxes to unpack uh with that film or or mermaid legend by Ikeda. that's the film that kind of like made him like a, a bigger director and um if you really are interested in like i, I hear I hear his um, red porno, Angel Guts red porno, is not really one of the better entries in that because he actually came at the end of the production to be the director. So mm-hmm. they say that he didn't have he directed it, but it wasn't so much his his kind of thing that they had him do. Um, and Sex Hunter, if you can stomach Pinku stuff, is like Suspiria with um, Coca Cola bottle enemas. I don't know. I was skimming through it and uh, it had that. Oh, so goodness. just be aware that it's pinku stuff so even though it's mostly softcore it's still very the 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 sexual subject matter is very taboo ish just to most people yeah but i i know there um there was a lot of the uh uh mid the late 60s early 70s um the the pinky violence box set collections and i wonder if they're still in print they probably aren't no the the red the the um it was the yellow boxes i think no, I'm thinking of it's called Angel Guts. My bad. That's the series. Yeah. Um, but the, there was a bunch of it was a six film series of pink films. Yeah, by Nikatsu mm. Corporation. Yeah, and he did red. He did red porno and um, a few other. Takashi Ishii did Red Vertigo. So and Red Lightning. Actually, he did a few of those. So um, no, those are I I've saw it one time and I was very tempted to get it, but I hear those are it's a mixed bag and you really have to know what you're getting into in terms of of pinku stuff because or pinky films because again it, most of the time it can be kind of like artistically it can be really interesting, but then it it's usually just really silly softcore stuff, you know like. But I mean, that's what you kind of get, you know. It's like, yeah, it's it's a roll really of the dice, stylish, but yeah, yeah, but um. But they're they're definitely I mean in comparison to like seventies Western porn like they're definitely way more high art than you know even like the artiest kind of seventies Western porn which would be something like Behind the Green Door or whatever like they were making so um, they're yeah usually a, a lot of it feels like it's it's um, borrowing from like French cinema oh yeah 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 and I mean you know like again because it's usually you know the way pornography is censored in japan there's usually no like like penetration isn't like gratuitous or this or that so i mean there are outrageous sex acts in them but they're more insinuate which makes them dirtier to be honest like them them not showing it fully makes it even worse but a lot of them deal with with uh sexualized violence stuff too so including you know rape and stuff like that so again really be aware of what you're getting into because you don't want to you know watch something that's like too too much and that it the line is very thin but you can watch something like school of the holy beast you know that's like a non-exploitation one that's kind of yeah that um that one got a 
uh, release probably around 2003, I think. I remember. Yeah, yeah. They, they it, it was really weird because, because you could get them in like Best Buy. It's <laughs> <was> like okay. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think that they were. You know, like I said, I think it 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 becomes a thing where I mean they they still do. I mean, the, like I said, the line is so thin. It's very much like the like buying anime versus hentai in the 90s like yeah you know most people you, are buying Ghost maybe Michelle, there was could, a yrv sticker on there but usually not <laughs> yeah but like you could you could anyone could go to blockbuster and rent what uh, Kudoji, legend of the overfiend and not yeah. know what that was you know so i mean the it was just it was a very uh interesting time for culture <laughs> to just be assimilated in the west so um that yeah that's just how that happens but Thankfully, like I said, I would I highly recommend everyone out there definitely go get the Evil Dead Trap Blu-ray um, uh, from Unearthed Films, and then it's seriously check out Evil Dead Trap too. It's a really underrated film. I've been, like I said, I covered it on my on my podcast before because I was again was like, wow, people really need to see this, and and now I think with it finally being released on Blu-ray, a lot more people are going to be able to see it finally um, because it's a it's a really cool film. Um, yeah, and it, and it's one that um, I had heard about, but I. I was either through listening to that episode or maybe Perry or you were talking about it on Twitter. And I just saw, I was like, oh, you know what? Let me just buy that. And then I watched it. And I was like, yes, this this is yeah. my favorite of, I think, the two films. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, I like more what it does versus um, Evil Dead Trap, uh, which I I watch every now and then. And I like the middle and the end i think the most i it, but, like but it, it has vibes to it yeah it, of, it also I mean, it feels like, a little bit like um a a super proto nothing to do with like uh, well, i guess you'll I, th- I feel like you would get the comparison but like fear.com i think the industrial like a lot horror. of people mentioned videodrome you know which was uh, this, yeah like, again that that postmodern idea of like video and 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 the and the snuff film and that kind of and thing some and body horror kind of just like yeah yeah sprinkled in cronenberg cronenberg esque i mean um in terms of survival horror if anyone's played a puppet combo game it's it, it, you can definitely tell he's been inspired by that cuz it has that <laughs> mean verve and like the 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 killer is a hooded kind of um yeah. figure or whatever um but well, but it's it's great and evil dead trap 2 is really cool um and uh i hope that but I, that's the thing is that so you know with all these blue releases again from air you know arrows released you know the ring and and um our, our ring and, and a few other ones i'm really hoping that they they pick back because there's tons of movies still that have an infection and um a lot that have these grainy ugly ass dvd transfers that we somehow were like wow back in the day but now you go back and you pop them in and um oh they they look rough they, like, yeah there's really they're not great barely but the arrow just, from vhs they just do such a good job um we and the prints we, the, the 4k scans on evil dead trap one and two i've seen the one from evil dead trap two because basically they were put out there because um you could buy Evil Dead Trap One and Two on Blu-ray from Japan last mm-hmm. year, but they were fifty bucks. Each. It was they were really expensive, no features, yeah. no nothing. And um, thankfully, you know, Unearth is putting some of the the extras from the original DVD, like three commentaries or whatnot. But they look great. Like the transfers are are pretty are, are really good. And the one for Evil Dead Trap Two is gorgeous. It just looks amazing. I would I would hope that hopefully it becomes a DCP thing that people can put in a theater because i would love to see evil dead trap 2 in a theater 
Um, Th- this would deserve like that treatment and, and something it's um, because of the, the way it's shot and the, just the boldness of it like needs that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have a fairly large TV and that having watched that on that and then watching it like on my laptop for this. And I was like, Oh, this would be, yeah. this, was, this was much better when it was very large, you know, c- compressing it down. didn't do it any favors for the transfer. But, um, and I, and I think, like I said, I found there's video essays of it on YouTube and um, Letterboxd. Certainly, definitely people have started to kind of re reassess it. And there's a lot of films, though, like I said, I, I have reassessed because even though I was following Mandy Apple, it's clearly not a negative 10 out of 10 movie. Um, there have been other films that I've rediscovered, like um, Tomie. I, for the longest time, mm-hmm. I avoided that because so many people said it was a bad adaptation and just a bad movie. And it's a weird, kooky little movie, and and there's like five of those. So I, yeah, I, they, I, have, I, I, I picked up the set. box set. Did you get set. the set? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I have it. Uh, I I I'm gonna wait <laughs> just because I love. But I, I watched Tommy because a Blu-ray rip of it uh, got out there and mm-hmm. it looked gore in the movies. Oh, it's cool. It's a really cool, weird, strange. It's weird. Yeah, uh, take on it, and it, but it's a lot cooler than what people say. And Uzumaki, I think, is finally gonna get a Blu-ray release because it was released. They had a 4K scan of it playing in theaters in Japan last year. Mm. And that is an awesome movie. And I, I think uh, a lot of people didn't like, again, because they just thought it was a wishy-washy adaptation. And we're finally getting the anime adaptation of Uzumaki. But the movie itself is its own brand of weirdness that I think a lot of people should see. And in, in an HD, because again, that was a uh, Arts Magic DVD release. It's now super out of print and does not look great, you know, so... I really yeah. hope that they start getting I think that's I think I have there. that the the first release of that. Um I also years ago um and I still have it. It's the trilogy maybe. Um it's a box set of the Echo Echo Azarak films. Uh, oh, those, th- those are, are so much fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. If you fun. yeah, if you invite me back uh in the future, I would love to talk because those are those are great fun and um I just watched um Haunted Haunted School or whatever, Haunted Elementary School about little kid. It's basically like goonies meets the meets ghostbusters meets like j-horror in the 90s this is a totally it's called like haunted school or something Hmm. really amazingly fun movie uh that's like a kids horror film um yeah i i it's been a long oversight haunted school yeah there's like five there's like four of them but the first Mm. one i watched it's oh it's so much fun like it's like it's a really really cool super 90s and a nostalgic way that just like i i hope it gets a release sometime in the future but like i said there's there's so many movies that really deserve to be re-released and hopefully they do so well arrow's been doing a really good job i picked up the um the box set for uh yokai yokai monsters uh, box set which had like the great they, yokai war and um... right they they have and i think but the, the weird thing is is like again they bought palisades tartan so you would think that the rights would have retained but i guess i guess maybe it's not that simple because again where is the eye or um mm. you know even taylor two sisters really deserves a blu-ray release and i, I mean uh, a lot of those early you know, Nuri the Curse is the biggest oversight. I have a bootleg copy of Nuri the Curse by Lion, or it's not like a bootleg; it's an actual Lionsgate copy, which goes to show that Lionsgate, I think, had the rights to it and was going to release it, but because 
Asian horror died at the end of 2009, 2010, like the interest of it, like they just basically were like, okay, we've remade everything that we think would make money and it hasn't made money. Um, I think they bought the rights to it, but they just kind of didn't do anything with it. And I have a DVD copy of it. Uh, I'm sure it's a bootleg, but I bought it way back in 2009 or 2010. And um, thankfully, that has been released on Shutter. So you know, yeah, stuff like I, that. I keep my Shutter subscription just to watch that every now and then. Yeah, but it would it would be amazing to get a, a nice Blu-ray of that because that to me mm-hmm. was the swan song of the Asian horror. Even though obviously since then we've had cool Asian horror stuff, but that really was like the the crossover then because found footage was starting to to to, to kind of take off. And um, it, to me, it's one of the greatest found footage horror films there is. It's one of the scariest movies you can think of. So yeah. Well, I think so, yeah. that that wraps us up uh, for this one. So uh, it's been it's been great talking to you again, even though uh, that for for listeners that's on a different podcast. But <laughs> what even mess with plugging oh, that here? Right. Uh, well, that was fun. I, I yeah, I enjoyed talking about those films. So yeah. And if you haven't seen Gonjam, go watch Gonjam Haunted Asylum. That's a very fun uh, horror film. I, Yes, and Hellstatt and Hellstatt like was yeah. good. They were they watch them as a double double billet because that's what we did yeah. and it was great. Yeah. Even um yeah. uh, uh haunted Changi was the other one. That was that was yeah, which, silly. <laughs> interesting. It was it's still interesting to watch in regards to them, but it's, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Hellshot and still out of my friends on Letterbox. I'm the there's one other person that gave it a positive review. Everyone else is like, nope, but I, I, I thought that movie was cool. So Yeah, I was happy to have like movie. run into that accidentally. I'm mean, like, hey, this looks like Gonjam. And it and yeah. it kinda was. of its own thing. But uh yeah, it's been fantastic to talk to you again. Uh we will there's plenty of other films we've we've named off a couple um that I think will uh, revisit in the future um, on this particular yeah. podcast um, or on the other one because you know, the other one's all monsters and uh, yeah folks the sci-fi on this was um, a psychokinetic deadly body horror baby spinal, yeah yeah yeah, sp- yeah, yeah. Sp- spikes through the wall and all kinds of all kinds of stuff there's um it's a stretchy genre <laughs> right yeah <laughs> But yeah, um, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for popping by. Are you are you still? I know it's been a while. Are you doing any more of your podcast, or is it just kind of why trash? It's been dormant. Um, I'm not. I COVID knocked out plenty of things, and definitely like my interest in film kind of waned because just film has been a little stagnant as as much as like a bunch of yeah. other things too. So. I've just been focusing on just streaming on Twitch where I do, uh, I stream mostly horror games, but I'm, I'm a variety streamer. So if you are interested in watching something like that, my, my uh, it's Karamashi Twitch as, as well as my um, letterbox is Karamashi and my Twitter is Karamashi. So um, yeah. And uh, like I said, you can, you can go and check out my reviews for other Asian horror films and you can find my original review of evil dead trap 2 where i say hey this movie's cool and also uh the Kawhi trash episode if you want to hear me talk about it more where i just sound more confused that time round uh, <laughs> than i did this time so yeah i'll uh i'll toss them the links the, the requisite links in the show notes so everyone can kind of track those down um yeah but it's it's been fantastic uh my links are in my own show notes so people can find me there if you're listening to me you've you found me that's fantastic 
And yeah, sorry it's been t- two years in between episodes. Even I didn't realize it was that long. I was thinking, oh, I sh- surely it was last year I that I recorded not. an episode. Wow, yeah, I thought that was... Well, there you go. Uh, you know, you never know. But uh, I figured, uh, even though it wasn't explicitly sci-fi, this was a good... Uh, coming back to form back to practice and yeah. something fun for folks if they if they enjoyed the last guest episode which was or i guess two guest episodes we had covered um uh 964 pinocchio and uh, rubber's lover so it's oh, all perfect. in that field perfect. of like what the yeah. hell cinema <laughs> those are great i love those too, they, the they were good they get, they get yeah. thumbs up from me <laughs> All right. Well, I will say goodbye, folks, and I will let you go, Adam. It's been it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming by. 